Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Well, welcome to church today. We have a brand new sermon series that I am excited to kick off. And so as I start off today, I just have to ask a few questions. If I were to say to you, hey, after church tonight or, 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 or last night, if I was going to invite you to a fire, some of you might have some ideas of what a normal fire might look like, a campfire, a bonfire, whatever it is. There's some different ideas, some different theories as to what a fire might look like, all right? So when I hear of a fire, or if someone were to invite me to a fire, here is the first picture that comes to my mind. I grew up in a suburb, so, you know, kind of like nice Adirondack chairs, like a fire pit kind of contained in there uh, with some nice comfy chairs. Who's got this, this general idea of a fire in, in mind? A few people? Not many, all right? Trust me, I know where your brain goes. We're going to get to you in a second. Some people might have an idea of what I call a modern fire, also known as a hipster fire, if you're familiar with hipster, all right? This is what I would consider a hipster fire, all right? Like, there's a flame, but that's about as, as fire as we get, you know? Like, oh, do you guys want to roast some marshmallows? Let's turn it up quick. The flame comes up, you know? Or like, oh, I'm tired tonight. Let's put the flame out, and it's done. Now, there's a third category of fire. I call this St. Francis fire. Because when I say, let's have a fire, this is what some of you guys think of. The type of fire where you go, oh boy, we got to step back. My eyebrows are getting singed here. The type of fire that usually starts with like about half a gallon of gas in the center and maybe like a Roman candle getting shot from a distance to light it on fire because you know you can't get anywhere close. Without any judgment, how many of you think of a fire? When, you, when I say fire, this is what you think of right back here. There's our St. Francisites. You guys know how to have a fire, right? That is the fun part. Um, and so we're talking about fires today, and someone stole my table, I realized today. I can't find it. So if you stole my table, I don't like you very much. So you're getting my, my stool today. Uh, but talking about fires, I actually had a reputation with pertaining to fires when I was around 14, 15 years old, all right? Because my friend had a cabin up north. And so every single weekend, we would go to the cabin. And if you've been to a cabin before, at least the way we had a cabin life, that fire was going all day long, every single day. Like, as soon as you get there, you start a fire, and it, it, you keep that sucker stoked all the way until you leave. And so the fire was kind of like the focal point. It was always fun at, at being 14 years old. It was kind of like, how can we uh, find, figure out new things to roast? So you had your typical marshmallows and s'mores and hot dogs. Then it progressed. Let's see if we can roast a piece of beef jerky. And so you're, you're, you're putting the beef jerky over there, and it's like, mm, warm meat. And then we started doing PB&Js with the pie irons. Who's got the pie irons where you, like, you coat it with butter and you put the bread in there? Peanut butter and jelly were kind of like, oh, that's really, really good. Um, aerosol cans. Uh, <clears throat> little crunchy, but they, they, they did the job. We were supervised, kind of. The parents were a few fires over, so uh, it was fun. Uh, aerosol cans, if you've never done that, I'm not condoning this from the pulpit. It's super dangerous. You should never do it. It's not exciting at all. 
uh, but I'm not condoning it, all right? You guys have been around for a long time. I'm not going to tell you that. My biggest claim to fame, though, the reason I had a reputation around the fire is because when I was 14 years old, we had just got done roasting something. It was late at night. All the parents went to bed early and were staying up late. And so when you get done with the roaster, you take it out of the fire, and it's hot, right? So what do you do with it? Stick it in the ground. That's what I've done for the longest time. So here, you know, of course, being kids, we come out, and this thing is, like, red. I mean, it is, like, glowing because it's been in there for so long. And it, it's the end of the night, so we go over, and I stick it in the ground, and we go up, uh, go to bed. And so the next morning, the dad of my friend goes, hey, uh, did you guys roast stuff last night? Yeah. Was it, was it hot? Yeah. Why? Because this morning when I pulled the poker out, I got sprayed with water. You had punctured a water line when you put the thing in there. So as soon as he pulled the poker out, um, this is a campground resort. So everyone around the campground was wondering why the toilets were a little weird the next day. So I left. I'm not going to be blamed for that, even though it's 100% my fault. Fires are fun, aren't they? Like They're, they're just super, super enjoyable. Uh, my favorite part about the campfire, though, is the stories you hear around them. It is amazing to me how when you have a flame and some potential alcoholic libations, stories just start to flow. Like They, they just come out of the woodwork. And so even if you're not, you know, if, not that you need to have alcohol around there. I'm not doing anything like that. But it's one of those things where when you are around a flame, there is something about this idea that stories just naturally happen. And some people have some really, really good stories, stories that make you laugh really, really hard. And what I love about these stories, you actually can tell a lot about a person depending upon what they tell you. Right? Like stories can tell a lot about someone. You can tell if this is the wild child. This is the one that was always doing the craziest stuff when they were younger. It might be, a story might tell you like, man, uh, they don't get out of the house much. And so we're glad they're here. But it's one of those things that no matter what kind of story it is, there's always remnants of a story that tells people who they are, what their hobbies are, what their interests are, what kind of person they are. And the more and more they tell stories, the more and more you have a pretty good idea of what that person's like, right? It's amazing how stories will naturally do that. And so I think what's so cool is that, you know, when we look at the Bible, when we look at, at, at what this big book that we call the Bible is, something that I learned as the more I got into my faith was that the Bible is really just a big book of stories, a really, really big book of different stories. I remember earlier when I was 12 years old, I got gifted this nice Bible with like the gold pages on the side. My name was on the front of it, and like I was like, got gifted it to it for Christmas. My mom's like, "Hey, you should read this; it's really good." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, cool, thanks." The next box would have been great, but the Bible's awesome too. And so she gave me this Bible, and I remember the first time I opened it up, like the first chapter of the Bible is you know Genesis, where it talks about God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. And a lot of us have heard that in different areas, but I remember opening this Bible because I knew my mom was coming home at four o'clock. So I was like, three fifty, I'm gonna go sit down front of the window. Is she here yet? Nope. Okay. Hang out. Oh, there's the garage door. This is a good book, mom. Thank you. Like, 
it, it's one of those things we, can, we there's, when we look at this book, it's, it's almost like we feel like we need to read it out of obligation. Like we need to do this. This is a, a moral code, if you will. I tell my youth students all the time, like this is not a book of rules. This is a story about who God is. And it's a story about his people and how they interact. Because stories will tell a lot about somebody or something. And so this morning, as I step into a brand new sermon series called Campfire Stories, I want to take us through some different really cool stories about God and about his people. Because the cool thing about the stories is that when we look about who God's people are, we can start to see ourselves. When we see how God interacts with his people, we can take that and go, this is how God interacted with us now in 2022, which is really really fun. So this morning, I'm going to talk about a story that centers around a man named Abram. Abram. His, he's later renamed to Abraham, and no, his last name is not Lincoln, the president of the United States. This is much, much earlier in time by, again, a man named Abram. And Abram, if you look in Genesis chapter 12, the very first book of the Bible, Abram steps onto the scene. And God kind of says, Abram, you're going to be one of the most important people of the early church. He says, Abram, you are going to be a father of many nations. You're going to have lots of kids. You're going to have lots of people. And all of the most important people that will come on the earth from this point forward will stem from your family tree. He's like, cool, thanks. That's an awesome gig. But then in Genesis chapter 12, it flips around because God says, okay, but hold on. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to pick up your family. You have a wife. And a nephew, I need you to pick them up, pick up all your stuff. You've been living here. I want you to go to a foreign land, a brand new place, and I want you to settle down there. So Abram, he gets up, he goes, he picks up his wife, he goes down to Egypt. Uh, his wife, by the way, is very attractive. And so he, and because he doesn't want his wife to get taken by the leaders, he says, oh, yeah, this is just my sister. And so all of a sudden, all of the kings are like, we want your sister. We'll give you money. We'll give you livestock. It'll be super good. Uh, Meg's been mistaken as my sister a handful of times, which has been super fun because Meg looks more than I do. Uh, but I would not kiss my sister. So there is that. I always tell them that. Like, this is my wife, all right? Don't mistake us for brother and sister because that would be really weird. But I love in Genesis chapter 22, we pick up, I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 21, the thing with Abram is that he's married to a lady named Sarai, later renamed Sarah. And these two could not get pregnant. They tried, 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 tried. They could not get pregnant. And especially in this day and age, children were everything. Children were your way to carry on the family line. They were your way to make sure you had an heir on the throne after you died. Children were as good as money. They could take your money. This was like almost an asset to have kids. And so here we are. They, they finally, for, for three times before chapter 21, Abram, or I'm sorry, God is telling Abram, hey, you will have kids. You will have descendants. You will be the father of nations. You need a kid to start that whole family train, right? You need at least one to have descendants. And so finally, after they're 99 and 100 years old, they're scoffing like, God, there's no way we're going to get pregnant at this age. Sure enough, in Genesis chapter 21, they get pregnant and have a son by the name of Isaac. 
really cool story, really powerful, but then some time goes on between chapter 21 and chapter 22 because 21 ends with, with Abram and, and, I'm sorry, Abraham and Sarah. They got renamed. I won't go into that right now. They got renamed. They had their son Isaac. They lived happily ever after, right? That's the idea. But then 22 picks up, and that's where I want to pick up today. We can't tell your story, number one. You guys good? Are you staying with me? Not going too fast, not, not getting too sweaty. I did turn up the heat or turn up the air conditioning because it was a little cold in here last week. But I'm sweating now, so I apologize in advance. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, if we're not clear by this, fine, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. What? <laughs> like, like what? You want me to kill my son? You want me, the, the one and only son that I have. Yeah, you mentioned him, Isaac, the one that I really, really love and like, by the way. Uh, don't really want to kill him. So why in the world are you asking me to do this? You just told me three times before this that I'm supposed to have descendants. I'm supposed to have the father of nations. I need this kid, God. It took us 100 years to get pregnant once. How in the world are you asking me to kill my son? It doesn't even make any sense. Parents, there are some situations where not that you'd ever want to kill your kid, but sometimes they drive you to the point of, like, sanity. This is not mean to say this is an okay thing, okay? Just so we're clear. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? If I, if, I were, if I were Abraham, I'd be like, how in the world are you asking me to do this? I want you to catch this first. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and lowered his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and we had cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we'll come back. He didn't question. He didn't complain. He didn't ask. Just went. Verse 2 says, hey, go and do this. And in verse 3, he says he got up early and went. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't drag his feet going, did I really hear this right? Did I really do this? Maybe I should think about this. Maybe I should consult a, a a pastor or a priest about this. He heard from God and he went. And as a parent, I want us to think about what this would be like. God's asking you for everything. Your most important thing in the world. Here he is. Go. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire in the night. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where's the lamb? I'm looking at all the pieces here, and I'm not, I'm not seeing how this fits. I'm not seeing how this works. We're going up this mountain, just you and I. And there's no, there's no thing for the offering. There's no animal. Again, 
you imagine this had to be the case. You're trying to figure out how in the world you're going to do this. And here, your son, the one that you are supposed to kill, is saying, uh, Dad, I'm, I'm looking, at, looking at, at the math here, and something's not adding up. We're missing something. So Isaac's smart. He's starting to see what's going on. Anyone creeped out? Yeah, this is a little weird. I told you the campfire story. Verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. It's now the second time Abraham is showing faith. The first time he tells his servants, hey, guys, we're going to go and worship. And then we, just us two, plural, we will be back. How does that make sense? You're supposed to kill your son, but yet you're saying we'll be back. I don't think that was just him just kind of hiding it. Dude, that was him saying we will be back. Then here we are. Isaac's asking, hey, uh, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. We're almost done here. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied, don't lay a hand on the boy, he said, do not do anything to him. There's so much to this story that we need to unpack, but I think it's important for us to pause here and go that Abraham trusted God with his everything. He was the nth degree. He went as far as to say, I will do this thing that sounds impossible. But because he asked him, he said, I'm going to do it. I think what's important to understand is that faith, when backed up by who God says he is, backed up by the promises he gives, really isn't blind faith at all. One thing you'll hear me say is I don't believe in blind faith. Because blind faith is uninformed faith. Faith is one of those things when you know who God is, you might have to take some steps of faith, but at the same time you know he's back you the entire time. He knows he's with you the entire time. He knows, you know, and have the assurance that I'm not sure how this is all going to fit. I'm not sure how this is going to work. But what I do know is that God said this to me. God gave me this promise. God said I can do this. And so even though what's not adding up here doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I'm going to step out in faith because I know he's going to come through for me. That's not blind faith. That's informed faith. And so here's where I want to finish our story. Because it is a really troubling story if you're looking at it from a weird glance. But I think when we relate it to our lives today, it makes a whole lot of sense. Finishing verse 12, now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. 
campfire story number one, the first characteristic of God that I think is important for us in 2022 to understand is that God is the ultimate provider. You will have dreams, dreams of monetary things. I have dreams of I want to have a house. I want to have my cabin on the lake. I want to have my dream vehicle. I want to have kids. I want to have all these different things. God provides. You will have ideas or things that maybe are more conceptual, like I want happiness. I want joy. I want peace. I want just strength so that when my coworker comes over me, I can just like take it and persevere over it. We want spiritual things. We want to know that God is there for us. We want to know that he hears us. We want to know that when we die someday, we're going to heaven. We have all these things that we want. And this story is one of many ways in which we see that God provides. God is there for us. You know, my thought is sometimes that we look at the things we want in our life and we think, you know what? Like, so many times in the church, it's one of those things where we feel like we can't chase the dreams God's put on our heart. We can't chase after the things that we really want, even if they're monetary things. I want the cabin. I want the truck. I want the things. I want all these things. But you know what? I'm just going to trust God instead. I'm not going to chase after that. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. Abraham and Sarah wanted kids in the worst way. And so they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and it didn't come. Even though God said, hey, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you a kid. Three different times he said, hey, you will be a dad. When it's not coming, they started to go like, God, what, what is going on? You said you would provide, but you're not providing anything. To the point where we see earlier on Genesis, when, when, eight, or when God tells Sarah, hey, you're going to get pregnant, she laughs at him. Like, I'm 99 years old. Geriatric pregnancy now is like 40. Can you imagine being 99? Just come out and be like, Mama, skip that. We'll just be grandma right away. Like, like how, like, it, it seems inconceivable. And so many times I think we wait on God for so long that we wonder if he's ever going to come through. But as the provider, he does. He always does. But the, the challenge I have for us today is, are, are we willing to wait? Are we willing to trust the process? Are you willing to give him everything? Are you willing to surrender our timeline, our ways, our everything. Parents in the room, grandparents in the room, raise your hand at me once. Yeah, put them down. You might have had this thought before, maybe not, but something I want to show. I want to show you my family. If you're newer to the church, you got to meet my wife Meg, but I think we have a picture up there of my family. This is my squad. So this is Meg. She is the better, better half of us for sure. Um, this is the smallest and sassiest being I have ever met in my life right here. To the point of I was uh, doing something yesterday. Meg took the kids out to lunch, and uh, Parker wanted to go into the play set with, with her brother. And Meg said, you got to wait because you're going to you know, fall and hurt your head. And she literally goes, ah! Like there was a, literally a pause because she goes, i got to be as dramatic as I can. Ah, and then apparently she looked up and said, hey, Meg, are you looking? Like she didn't say that, but she looked up like, Mom, are you looking at me? Yep. Ah! She is the sassiest person in the world. It, it, it's crazy. But 
God made her cute so that she could compensate for the sack. Then we have Ellis, and he, he is just sweet. He's got all kinds of personality. And this, our household, if you come over between the hours of about 7 a.m. and 9 p.m., we will charge you admission because it's like a circus. It's loud. It's chaotic. It's crazy. The dog's spinning in circles. Ellis is, like, squeezing the dog's ears like this, and Parker's screaming and dancing. It's crazy. But at 9.10, it's crickets because the kids are passed out, Meg's passed out, and I have the house to myself. And it's amazing. But as the hand of the house, as the provider, sometimes I love to just kind of walk through the house when everything is quiet. There are so many times I go, God, I've prayed for this so long. God, I am literally living out the things I prayed for when I was six or seven years old. And there is that humbling moment where you go, man, God, you came through for me. You provided for me. You gave me every single thing I want. And here I am praying for the next thing instead of sometimes appreciating what he's already provided. But here's the kicker. I'll never forget this. It happens to me more than once, actually. Sometimes I will squeak into the door that needs WD-40. I'm convinced the door is quiet until everyone's sleeping. And they have to... But I walk into my kids' room, and they're both passed out. Parker has got her butt in the air with head down, sleeping in the most contorted way, but somehow it's comfortable. Ellis looks like, you know, like, like it's a dream. Sometimes I just walk in there, and I'm just feeling like, God, thank you for providing. Sometimes God gives you this question. He says, if I were to take all of this away, would you still say that I'm good? to have none of this, if tomorrow, it sounds morbid, okay, I understand, but if tomorrow you go to work, your wife and kids got in a car, got in a car wreck, died, would you still say that I'm good? Can I tell you as a pastor, I don't know how to answer that question. This is literally what I do for my list of lifestyle of, of, of talking about God and talking about how good he is. But there are this, if I'm being honest, that fleshly part of me goes, if that happened, could I still say, yeah, God, you're good. Yeah, God, I praise you. Yeah, God, you're awesome. Part of me wants to say, yes, Lord, of course I would. Definitely. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of even the tough stuff. You're worthy. But there is that part of me that goes, would I? Could I? Tough question. It's a humbling question, which is where I go back to Abraham. Abraham did. Abraham didn't question. He said, okay, yeah, got up next morning. All right, God, sure. Not sure how, not sure what this looks like, but what I do know is that you said I'm going to be the father of nations. What I do know is that you gave me this son for a purpose, so I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what's going on, but I'm still going to trust you in the process. Because I know that your promise is better than my circumstance. Your promise is more holistic than what I'm seeing with my eyes. Our eyes sometimes can deceive us because we have these ideas, these expectations, these timelines, and we're going, God said this, but it's not happening, so he, maybe he's not even real in the first place. What if Abraham gave up? What if Abraham said, you know what? I'm 100 years old. We're not having kids anymore. I'm done with you, God. 
You said I can have kids. You said I can be all these different things, but I'm 100 years old. I can have a walker to chase around my newborn. What if he gave up? Love is that he just stepped out in faith because he trusted the promiser more than the promise. He trusted that God said you're going to have them. Even if he doesn't, quote unquote, have them, somehow he's going to have them. Fascinating to me that in verse 8, or I'm sorry, in verse 5, he said, We will come back to you. Both of us. Say, God will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. He didn't say that. God didn't tell him that. He didn't give him the instructions. He just trusted. He just had faith that God would provide. Here's what I want to leave you with today. In the Hebrew, which is written in this, which is what Genesis is written, in verse 14, it says this, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The Hebrew name in that is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah, the first word, means Lord. It means an all-encompassing Lord. You are the Lord. Like You are everything. It's not just like my Lord, like a king. It's like the Lord like, is, is everything. He is the king of all. Jehovah. But Jireh means provision. Jireh means provide. So Jehovah Jireh means that he is the God of provision. Every provision, every pro- providing of comes from him. He can do it all. Jehovah Jireh. What I think is so cool, the best part about the story, the twist ending, the surprise that you didn't see coming, the, the last 10 minutes movie that you're like, whoa, that is awesome. The best part about this story is that this happened on Mount Moriah. You might not recognize Mount Moriah because we don't hear Mount Moriah very often, but we do hear is about a hill named Calvary. We do hear about a hill called Golgotha. That's on Mount Moriah. And so Jehovah Jireh, he is the God of provision that was said in, in thousands and thousands of years ago in some of the first stories of the Bible, Jehovah Jireh is the same place where God gave his son Jesus to provide for us. The same hill in which the son carried up the wood, the same hill in which all of a sudden he was going to have to sacrifice his son but didn't have to, is the same hill. That Jesus took his own cross up, the same hill in which he died, and the Father had to give up his heavenly son, Jesus, so that he could provide for all of us. You want to talk about some cool foreshadowing, some cool setup? Mount Moriah. Hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus even walked this earth. God the Father said, this will be the hill in which God provides. This will be the place in which God comes to you. The reason we talk about Jesus so much in the church is because Jesus provides everything for us. Everything. 
I'm not just talking about finance. I'm not just talking about, you know what, I'm praying that God helps me pay my bills because we're short here. I'm praying that God helps heal my son, helps heal my daughter, helps heal my grandmother, helps heal my mom. He does those, provide those things as well. But God is Jehovah Jireh. He provides everything. He provides the peace when you're confused. He provides the strength when you're weak. He provides the, the, all of the stuff that we need, the big stuff, the small stuff, the stuff in between, he provides. And oh, by the way, he provides a way into heaven where we can't have one. He provides a way in which you know you can be a sinner, you can be all this nasty stuff, but it doesn't matter because he provided his son Jesus so that we could go to heaven when we die. He provides. He provides in a big way. The shirt Gyra is actually from a song from Elevation Worship, Maverick City Music. Fantastic song. I encourage you to go listen to it. I'm not going to take my coat off because I'm pretty sure my back is lathered in sweat. But the back of my shirt says you are more than enough. You are more than enough. A song I have been singing at the top of my lungs the last week. It doesn't sound good, mind you. The lyrics go like this. If I have you and nothing else, I have everything. God will provide things in your life emotionally, relationally, I have no doubt. The church, if I could challenge you today, I would challenge you that the very thing that your heart is crying out for, the deepest part of it, God will provide. The answer for that in a way only he can. Freedom from an addiction. Brokenness that can't be healed with anything else. Not coming back. Peace and strength when it feels like your whole world's falling apart. Right. In a big way. In this time. The question we have to ask ourselves is are we willing to walk up the mountain? Are we willing to take the steps of faith that we're supposed to do? God's calling me to go and do something big. God's calling me to go and forgive that family member. So I'm going to walk up the mountain. It's not going to be easy, but at least I'm going to find the number. I'm going to set up a meeting. God's calling me to make a career change and do something. So I'm going to get a job application this week. I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to talk to my boss. I'm going to take a step of faith and say, I'm going to do this move now. For some of us in this place, maybe God's been pulling on your heartstrings for so long. You're like, I'm just not sure if I'm there. I'm not sure if I'm good there yet. I'm not sure if I really want Jesus part of my life yet. Take your time. But maybe that step of faith is saying, you know what, Jesus, I'll give you a shot. I'll give you a shot. I'll welcome you into my life. You are who you say you are. Take the step of faith. Because I'll tell you one thing. From that moment on, from Abraham, I'm guessing there's no thing that God asked him to do that he didn't feel assured of that God would come put it all on the line, and God came through. That's why Abraham became the father of all nations. Let's go about that story. Talk about Mount Moriah. If you trace back the lineage of Jesus, Jesus came from the line of David, came from the line of Abraham. Think about if Abraham did not stay true to this. 
and didn't follow God's plan, God would have found a different plan, but think about that. That his obedience in one thing led to Jesus walking the earth and being here for all of us. God calls you to do something. Even if it's something small, do it. Because the ramifications are bigger than we can even imagine. God set up that opportunity for Abraham, which paved the way to the path to Jesus. You might not see the full picture. You might not see how it's possible. But the challenge to us is to place. Let's walk by faith. I'm preaching myself right now. Is that okay? Because leading to a church, leading to church, doing things, you got to take some faith. I know God's called us to do big things. I know God's called us to, hey, you're going to do this. You're, the, the church is going to do this. But sometimes it's still terrifying. Because you got to take some steps of faith. You see some things, you're like, I don't know how this is going to work, but God said we're going to do this. God said it's going to happen. So here's the hoping. It's a calculated risk, not blind faith. He's going to come through person that trusts you, but his time and his way. Because he is Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Jireh for you personally. Jehovah Jireh for us as a church. Jehovah Jireh for the Lord. My challenge for you today is you walk out those doors now. I want you to just take a step of faith, but trust in your heart. He's fighting for you. He's with you, even if you don't sense it. In those dry places, I can only imagine as Abraham's walking up the hill, him going, I hope I'm doing this right. I hope I heard this right. I hope I'm on the right track. Because if not, this is going to be really tough to explain to my wife. Gotta step forth in faith. We all come through. Promise. pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. God, for the needs in this room, the needs for help, the needs for finance, the needs for relationships, the needs for peace, the needs for answers and clarity, the needs for a job, the needs that are spoken and unspoken. I pray, Jesus, that this week we would be looking for you to answer. We would step forth in faith knowing, God, that as we are faithful, so are you. God, you are faithful in all circumstances, even when we're not. But I pray, God, that we would take a step of faith to see your promise come true. I pray today, Jesus, for those in this place, those watching online, that they would know you're with them and you love them. You go with them. You go with all of us. Lead us, guide us, direct us those in this place. God's been tugging on your heartstrings. You just want to know Jesus at a deeper level. I just pray that they would know the matter of God, forgive me. God, would you be a part of my life? We confess with our mouth and believe with our hearts, God, that you are there. You are. Jesus, lead us and guide us. In your name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week.
Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.